0: What's up Dolph fans and welcome into the Thursday, February the 14th, the Valentine's Day edition of the Locked on Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of ...of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, the first quarterback domino falls of the offseason. What does Joe Flacco to the Broncos mean for the Dolphins? Plus, we continue the state of the roster series looking at the defensive ends... ...and the many lives of Nick Bonaconti. And in honor of Valentine's Day, all list the five moments I love the most... From this century, not that many of them, but from this century as a Finns fan. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Tuned In, wherever you get your podcast from. Go ahead and leave us that rating, leave us that review. We are the number one Dolphins podcast out there in the universe. Don't let anybody else tell you otherwise. Follow me on Twitter at WinkfulNFL. Follow the show at LockedOnFins. And of course, LockedOnDolphins.com. We have a busy show for you guys today. Let's go ahead and turn things up and get going right now. That's another Miami Dolphins. And the news came out early on Wednesday morning that the Broncos are going to send a fourth round draft pick in 2019 to the Baltimore Ravens for quarterback Joe Flacco and his insane contract. Now they can get out of that contract at season's end and cut off the rest of that ridiculous deal that Flacco is due the rest of his contract there, but they do owe him 18.5 million bucks this season and that's on top of case keenum who is due seven million dollars once they inevitably cut him they might try to trade him but i don't know that anybody's giving up draft picks for case keenum and he also carries a 10 million dollar cap hit on top of all of that man to be a broncos fan right now buzz your girlfriend that's gotta be rough i mean joe flacco case keenum probably gonna draft someone like drew lock John Elway just has no idea how to evaluate this position that he was so good at playing. And part of that makes me kind of grateful that Dan Marino never got a job in that capacity with the Dolphins because how the hell do you fire Dan Marino or John Elway? I don't want to see his legacy be remembered for what he did in the GM's chair. I want to think about the way he rocketed the football all over the Orange Bowl and pro player stadium back in the 80s and 90s with the Dolphins. So, Going forward, this kind of sets the wheel in motion as far as quarterbacks go and the quarterback merry-go-round is concerned rather. I couldn't really figure out where Joe Flacco was going to go this offseason because he's just not really worthwhile anymore in the league. But this one, it does make a lot of sense to me as far as the Elway connection with the veteran player and him going out to Denver. But that said, I don't think this really impacts the quarterback market like at all. Denver is still going to attempt to find their quarterback, and those rumors I mentioned about Drew Locke Those are stacking up every single day it seems. There is another rumor connecting Drew Locke to the Broncos and I think Elway's affinity for Locke is real and I think that's the direction they will ultimately go with the 10th pick in the draft. So then you pair that with the rumor that everyone has with Nick Foles going to Jacksonville and their new offensive coordinator who coached Foles in Philadelphia previously. I think Haskins to the Giants would make a lot of sense but then again they like to draft offensive linemen and don't want to fix their quarterback position ever so who knows. And then I think someone will come up to get Kyler Murray Miami, Washington, Cincinnati I think it's between those three teams if we're talking about a trade up for Kyler Murray I don't think it'll be the Bengals just because they don't really operate that way and I would say the favorites are Washington at this point But it's going to be interesting either way to see how it plays out because Murray is kind of the galvanizing force in this entire draft and the Dolphins will be connected to him for the next couple of months. So it's going to be fun for us in that way. And one last note here on this topic. Someone mentioned to me on Twitter today, and I forget his name. I'm sorry that I don't have your handle with me, but he corrected something that I said on the podcast yesterday, and that was regarding the Cardinals needing a number two cornerback alongside Patrick Peterson. But I had forgotten, and he reminded me that they just signed Robert Alford from the Atlanta Falcons. So forget about that. They don't need Davian Howard and that trade down scenario. I think that four to five range is probably where Kyler Murray eventually comes off the board in a trade situation with the Raiders, maybe the Buccaneers. I hope that it's Miami, but my expectations remain tempered. And according to the trade chart, the NFL trade chart, which is not really gospel, it's just more of a guideline, the Dolphins would have to give up the 13th, 48th and 78th pick in the draft. Their first three draft picks to go from 13 up to 4 with the Raiders. Or, of course, you can throw a player in there or future draft picks, but that's the draft chart cost. Again, it should be an interesting couple of months as we go on here without a quarterback on the Dolphins roster. That makes it more fun, I think, or just exciting to think about the different possibilities. And before we close this segment out and move on to the state of the roster defensive ends edition, last night there was a documentary on HBO that... I think every single Dolphins fan needs to see, regardless of your age. I never saw Nick Bonaconti play. I just knew he was an undersized Hall of Fame linebacker on the perfect 1972 Miami Dolphins team. I didn't know that he played 15 years in the league. I didn't know that he got his law degree from Notre Dame and practiced law. During the offseason and after his playing career was over, I didn't know he was the CEO of a major smokeless tobacco company. I didn't know he was on inside the NFL for 25 years. This guy literally did everything you could ever imagine in life. But I do recall hearing a story recently about his struggles with CTE, which began around 2013. And boy, it got it got really bad for him. It was tough to watch the end of that show because of that. I don't want to spoil it any further for you guys, but it's a great, great show. And I want to play one sound clip for you guys from the show, and then I won't spoil it any further beyond this. There was one time when Shula was getting angry at Dick Anderson, and uh, I-, I intervened and I told Shula to go fuck himself. <laughs> I thought he was line. It gets me every time I hear it. Just the old guy saying, go fuck himself. But then he said that Don Shula pulled him aside and said, You will never say that to me again. You cannot speak to me that way. I am the coach. You are the player. You work for me. And Bonaconti said, I never did say it again after that. So that level of respect was there between the two of them. And obviously, it had great impact and great success on the Dolphins during those years in the 70s. The Many Lives of Nick Bonaconti up on HBO. It's an hour and 15 minutes long. Make sure you. You guys all catch that. All right. Next on the podcast here, we're going to talk defensive ends, both on Miami's roster and what could happen to the Dolphins 2019 roster at the position. We'll get to that here in a second on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingful NFL at Locked Fins. We are on day number... 6 on the state of the roster series here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and you can find these pieces up on lockedondolphins.com as well. But we're going to breeze right in to the defensive ends or the edge rushers or edge defenders, whatever the hell we're calling them these days. These are the players that line up off the outside part of the formation in this defense. And it's going to be different this year because the scheme is just going to be way different than the wide nine. Whereas the defensive line is con- is spaced out pretty wide in that wide nine getting out to the outside shoulders of the tight ends. This defense is going to condense the defensive line and be more gap oriented with linebackers coming down on the ball off the edge. So you pretty much much have to rethink the entire prototype for these positions for the Dolphins going forward. And that's why I put it up on Twitter last night that I just... Cam Wake doesn't really have a fit in this defense, and we'll get to that here in one second. But let's go ahead and roll over this defensive end position group here. The Dolphins owe their current defensive line $21.4 million. The NFL average at defensive end just on the ends is $18 million. Robert Quinn accounts for $13 million of that though, but just like Cameron Wake, he is miscast in this defense. That bend doesn't really do him a lot of good. You have to kick inside and do more against the run. Those are not strengths of Robert Quinn. He's still just 29 years old, but that $13 million figure that they're going to owe him if they keep him, they can get away from that with no penalty at all. So they're going to do that. He's miscashed in the system. Robert Quinn will get cut sooner rather than later. And speaking of getting cut, Andre Branch is owed $7 bucks this year. The Dolphins can get away from that contract with a $2 million penalty. One, they will gladly oblige because Andre Branch has been one of the worst signings in team history, frankly, just based on the production compared to the contract he received he had a decent stretch in 2016 that got him this contract but 2017 2018 he was a non-factor and made 7 million bucks a year to be a non-factor he gets cut instantly as well Charles Harris 1.4 million dollars look it's tough to imagine a worse campaign than Charles Harris's sophomore year as the 20th overall pick in 2017 he looked passive he looked confused didn't really have a plan as a pass rusher often got washed out by tight ends one-on-one in the run game just not good football. But this transition to a new scheme could maybe spark his career or that's the hope at least i've seen him play better in a two-point stance so we could play some off-ball linebacker off that edge i've seen him do better inside working as a kind of a five technique something the defensive ends in this scheme will have to do so harris has a potential to be a rotational edge and outside linebacker on this defense he has to pick it up this year if he wants to come back in 2020 and then we get to cam wake who made eight million bucks last year and these are the pending free agents so they only have Quinn, Harris, and Branch under contract. Two of those guys I have getting cut. Here are the free agents to be on the Dolphins roster from last year. Cam Wake made $8 million. Again, always underpaid, it seems, for Cameron Wake as an elite pass rusher off that edge. But he's just not a fit in the scheme. He's 36 years old. I want to see him go have a chance to get a ring, hopefully in the NFC. I think the Philadelphia Eagles make a lot of sense for Cam Wake. And we'll see you again, 91, in the Hall of Fame where you belong. He is one of the great Dolphins of all time. And I could gush poetically about Cam Wake all day long. In fact, when the move does happen, if it happens, like I think it will, we'll do an entire podcast and dedicate it to 91 Cameron Wake. He is the absolute man, but I think this is the end moving on the free agent list here for the Dolphins William Hayes made four million bucks last year he spent the last two years to end the season on injured reserve and I think he'd be a good fit in the scheme as being that rotational five technique kind of a veteran to back up maybe a younger guy but with two consecutive years on IR I think the Dolphins will wave goodbye to the 34 year old as well and then Jonathan Woodard who I thought played well before an injury last season has a chance to come in here and play that rotational spot that William Hayes might have filled and he's only going to get owed 550 $55,000 next year. He has a chance to be part of that rotation, and I think he will do just that. Now, the free agent market could be very interesting because the number one player on my free agent board for the Dolphins is Trey Flowers, and it always has been. He's 26 years old. He's an ideal scheme fit for this defense. He can play inside, outside. He plays entire series at defensive tackle sometimes for the Patriots. He goes outside as a seven technique. He can run slants, stunts, twists, games, whatever you want. He is the man for this defense, and I would hope the Dolphins pursue him aggressively, Other less attractive names, also a Patriots pipeline player, John Simon, a defensive end, is set to hit the open market. He's 26 and wouldn't cost a whole lot. So that's the idea to kind of go cheaper at the position and get more scheme fits because this defensive line and this defensive front is more about the some of the parts be or the whole being greater than the sum of its parts and trying to find a way to manufacture pass rush and manufacture production and being more about rush lanes and, and having gap integrity opposed to trying to beat a guy one-on-one. It's all about filling gaps and lanes and rushing that way responsibly. And that's something that Jerome Baker and Ray Quad McMillan both do at linebacker very well also. So I think they fit well in the scheme. And we'll talk about linebackers next week on the podcast but just think more about guys that can run the scheme more than individual freaks at the position. And that's why you might not pay the big money for a Trey Flowers. So just something to consider as we approach free agency. And a lot of these moves that you guys are going to see probably aren't going to make a lot of sense until you start to kind of figure out the scheme and the plan as things go forward. Now, as far as making a splash outside of Trey Flowers and more of a real true pass rusher, Dante Fowler has that connection to Marion Hobby, the defensive line coach for the Dolphins, who coached the D-line in Jacksonville when Dante Fowler was there. He's a free agent. He's fluid. Great change of direction. 255 pounds. I think he would be a fit in this defense as well. And then I put Brandon Copeland from the Jets. He had five sacks, 35 tackles, and 14 QB hits last year. A bargain buy type of guy as a rotational player on that defensive line as well. And then the draft class. And this is kind of why I didn't go very in-depth on the free agent market because this draft class really carries the water for this position and really is the best position group in this entire draft. And there are guys at pick 13 that the Dolphins could really just pick them and be done with it and and move on to the next position because Ja'Kai Polite from Florida, Brian Burns from Florida State, Cleland Furl from Clemson, all three of those guys are elite pass rush products that one of them is going to be available at 13, not sure which one. Nick Bosa and Josh Allen, both from Kentucky and Ohio State, those guys are going to be gone, which means one of the other pass rushers will fall to them. That's where that idea comes from. But if you want to go for the quarterback or trade down for your offensive lineman, or maybe even take a defensive back, which I think is going to be an underthought of idea for this Dolphins team because they're going to play six or seven defensive backs with a lot of regularity and Miami needs to add more and guys that can do more of the roles like Patrick Chung did for the Patriots defense for so long so these guys on this defensive ends list are options later on in the draft chase Winovich from Michigan he's a high motor player that can play that base defensive end five technique Zach Allen from Boston College the exact same thing and you say high motor because guys are white and they both are but they are high motor guys and they're nasty physical players they are prototypical scheme fits for that five tech off the edge and then an athletic freak like Texas is Charles amenahu He has length and size and speed. He would be a nice fit in the defense as well. A couple of options later on in this draft class. If you guys watched the Senior Bowl, you saw O'Shane Zimenez from Old Dominion. He looks nice. Daniel Wise had a great week at the Shrine Week practices and game down in Tampa. He's from Kansas. Isaiah Bugs out of Alabama and Gerald Willis out of Miami, among plenty of other guys that could be options at this spot. As far as predicting the roster at this position at defensive end, it's going to be fluid and pliable. So it's really tough to forecast who exactly goes in as there is tons of crossover between defensive tackles and ends in this position group. And a guy like Vincent Taylor, for instance, could get some quote unquote defensive end reps on this defense. So it's not about depth chart stacking, but more about defining roles for the defense and players in those roles on the defense and that's what we'll go ahead and try to do here. So you need a guy that can play five, six, seven, and 9 technique. And these notes come from Kevin Dern, who is writing up a great defensive piece for LockedOnDolphins.com. He gave me these positions and told me to fit guys into those roles. So I'll do that. Kevin Dern at KevinMD4. Going to be on the podcast here very shortly, as well as on LockedOnDolphins.com. But your five, six, seven, and 9 technique, one guy, that would be a Trey Flowers or maybe a Charles Amenahu. Your 3, 4i, and 5 technique, that guy that can play inside-out, outside. Vincent Taylor is perfect for that role, in my opinion. you got a couple of base defensive ends, a rookie, whether it's Winovich or Allen, the two white guys I mentioned with the high motors. Your other base end behind them to me could be Jonathan Woodard, the cheap player for $550,000 and a riser at that. And then another guy that kind of gives you depth off the rotation, Charles Harris, your five, seven, and nine technique off that edge possibly playing some linebacker as well. So this group is going to see a lot of turnover. The Dolphins have a lot of needs at this spot. I think it's going to be a two-year project to rebuild this portion of the team and probably the entire defense as a whole. But that is your defensive end preview. We'll get more into the defensive tackles on tomorrow's podcast. But next on today's podcast... In honor of Valentine's Day, really the dumbest holiday of the entire year, if we're being honest, I think all you guys would agree with me on that. We're going to talk about the top five moments that I loved the most as a Dolphins fan from this century. We'll do that next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network on Twitter, at Wingful NFL, and the show at Locked On Fins. It is Valentine's Day here on this Thursday edition of the Locked on Dolphins podcast talking about the defensive ends, Nick Bonaconti, as well as the Joe Flacco news. But above all of that, we're going to go ahead and play a segment here for you guys to close things out, to try to lighten the mood before you go home and you probably mess something up, whether it's getting the wrong flowers, getting the wrong dinner, not planning the right date. We're going to give you a happy moment here before you go and get your ass chewed by your wife. And that is the top five moments that I loved as a Dolphins fan of this century. And why don't we go ahead and play some background music to get this thing going for you here. And we'll go ahead and use a Queen love song because I tried to find other love songs and there really just aren't any good ones that I wanted to put on here. So top five moments that I loved as a Dolphins fan of this century. And number five is Cam Wake and a Dominican sandwiching Bryce Petty on that Saturday night game against the Jets. It's always fun to beat the Jets, but to watch two of your best players destroy the opposing quarterback wearing that wrong shade of green that was awesome to see in a blowout win. A great game. Number four was just one week after that the Dolphins had just beaten the Bills to put themselves in position to make the playoffs for the first time in eight years but it was the Christmas night after that on Sunday when the Chiefs beat the Broncos to clinch the division or the playoffs rather for the Dolphins I was with my family popping champagne acting like total assholes it was a great time and a great night drinking watching the Dolphins go to the playoffs cannot beat it but apparently you can because I have three more here on the list that top that moment number three Andre Goodman picks off Brett Favre in the 2008 season finale at the Meadowlands, again taking down the Jets, and it didn't really put the game on ice yet, but it mostly did and gave the Dolphins their only division title of the last, what is it, 15, 16, 17 years now? I don't know. I've lost count. Dolphins win the AFC East. In 2008, on Andre Goodman's interception of Brett Favre. Number three moment there. Number two, that same year, 2008, Dolphins were 0-2. And you guys know what happened. They went into Foxborough. Big underdogs, even though it was Matt Castle facing them. And they unleashed the Wildcat. I had to pick a specific moment here because there's five touchdowns from Ronnie Brown, but I went with the pass from Ronnie Brown to Anthony Fasano to clinch that win and put it away late in that game. The Dolphins destroyed the Patriots in that one and wound up winning 11 of their final, what was it, 14 games to win the division in the AFC East. For the first time in many years and the first time since then as well and the number one let's go ahead and slow things down here as far as the music goes I want to play a sound clip for you guys that will get you in the mood tonight for sure because really it's the last great memory we have as Dolphins fans our last playoff win let's go ahead and play the audio and Lamar wrapping up the ball with both arms and he just gets I mean, I'm listening to this audio right now in my office upstairs on the middle of a Wednesday afternoon, and that is giving me chills down the back of my spine. Lamar Smith takes it in from 23 yards to clinch the Dolphins' most recent playoff win. I was in sixth grade, 12 years old, which is, what, 19 years ago now? So it's been quite some time, but the Dolphins' number one moment of the decade that you love, Lamar Smith's playoff touchdown run, the walk-off winner to beat Peyton Manning, Marvin Harrison, Edgerrin James, and the Indianapolis Colts. And hopefully we get to experience that again one day real soon. It's been a long, long road since then. But I remain hopeful the Dolphins will get back there sooner rather than later. All right, guys, that's going to be it for today's show. If you have a smart speaker, you can tell your smart speaker to play Locked on Dolphins podcast to get your daily dose as soon as possible. Also, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter, at Winfield NFL. Follow the show at Locked Fins. Keep up to date on our Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll be back tomorrow for a mailbag edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. In a tongue Understood By no one Can it be